We're in a space that we're providing a, a tool and a system that is only valuable to our customers if it can demonstrate its own results. And by the way, it does. This episode is sponsored by Linear B. Accelerate your development pipeline with data-driven engineering metrics, continuous improvement automation, and project visibility while cutting your software development cycle time in half. Sign up for your free demo at LinearB.io and mention the DevInterrupted podcast discount for one month free when you sign up for an annual pro membership. Hey everyone, welcome to Dev Interrupted. I'm your host, Dan Lines, and today I'm joined by Brent Bartlett the VP of Engineering at Grin. Brent, thanks for joining us and congrats on the recent $110 million Series B round. Oh, thanks a lot, Dan. Super glad to be here and uh, looking forward to the conversation. Awesome to have you here. Now, let's start with giving our audience the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better before we dive into Grin. I know you joined Grin as head of engineering. It was around December 2019. It would be really cool to hear your career journey. How did you get into such a great role with Grin? What did you do before that? How did that all happen? It's interesting. It's been like fast and slow at the same time. It's one of those things where when you're starting your career, it takes a long time and sometimes the pacing isn't what you would expect. So I started as an engineer at Hewlett Packard way back in the days prior to the dot-com bust. That was like my first entry into the market. And then through my journey, I've worked with some of the largest companies on the tech side and some of the smallest, I will say, like little small startups. Recently before joining Grin, I was director of engineering at Schilling Robotics which is a deep sea robotic company. So they make robots are about the size of a minivan go down to the bottom of the ocean. And that's been some of the companies I've worked with before joining Grin. The Schilling Robotics sounds pretty cool. What did you learn there? That sounds really interesting. It was definitely interesting, man. It's a harsh environment from just the product side out in the middle of the ocean on a boat with no other uh, support around you. These boats go out in the middle of the ocean. They sail for like weeks to get to where they're going and then uh, drop robots off the side and they go down the bottom of the ocean. So that brings all sorts of challenges. When I was an engineer there, I was thinking about all all of the different unexpected events that could occur where you're working at your desk, typing code, and then one day you might be flown off to the ocean. So it's dynamic. That's awesome. Is there anything in your career journey, you're a software engineer, you got a director role at this interesting robotics company, then you come to Grin. What kind of jump-started your career to even get onto this management track? I'm not sure if there's a particular catalyst of an event. I think that leadership is a journey, right? Just like the career is a journey. And One of the things that I really enjoyed about engineering is problem solving and probably about, I don't know, it's, I don't want to age myself too much here, but I've been doing software leadership for quite a while. And you start getting to the point where the technical problems, you understand how they work. Like engineering is really hard. It's very challenging. And you know when you're done, you know when your problem works, when your code is executing and performing what you want it to be. So those problems get into a mode where it's really prescriptive in a different way than when you're doing management and leadership. When you're doing management and leadership, it's still problem solving. And the problems have all sorts of unintended side effects, consequences, and 
definition is challenging of what the end state is, right? Like, how do you know that your employee is performing well? Are they performing their best? How do you know that they're performing their best? How do you know that you're performing your best as a software engineer? Am I performing my best? Could I be doing better? Can I be more efficient, more productive? Those are the thoughts that I think start catalyzing in future software leaders' heads when they're typing code, when they're being an engineer, when they're solving hard problems, when they're um, evaluating code reviewing their peers' work. So those things are probably like early signals that maybe formulated my head is how do I make myself more just able to be as good as I could as an engineer? And then those optimization techniques led me to solving problems in that space that then provided larger impact to then maybe going into a team lead and then into a manager. And so then into a manager of managers, into a director, into a VP. It's just a journey. I don't know if there's any particular inflection point that I can point to though. Yeah. It sounds like you started having the right thought processes. Okay. So how am I improving myself or what does it mean to be a great engineer? What does it mean to lead a team of engineers? What does it mean for them to be great software engineers and them to deliver? Yeah. It seems like it maybe was a little bit more progressive for you, but you started having those thoughts that probably got you more so on that management track, as opposed to maybe, hey, I just want to be a principal engineer and that's my journey. I would say so. I think it's really, yeah, it's, it's about problem solving. And I think the problems that I was solving as a principal engineer and architect, I've served in those roles, they weren't as, as compelling to me as some of the problems that I was solving when I would consult and help a colleague get over some type of uh, troubleshooting methodology that they didn't quite get. So they might have, have been really good at writing the code, but maybe they couldn't diagnose it. And so then I would teach and coach them. This is like an individual contributor level, right? Like here's some things that I do to tackle this type of problem that people would come to me because they like I get a reputation for being able to solve those types of things. And I, I found that very rewarding and then started exploring, oh, there's a role for that. Very cool. Now, Grin is obviously a rocket ship company, huge series B round. I know that your engineering team is scaling. You're in this great position, leading the engineering organization. How did that opportunity even become available for you to join Grin? Did you join early on? Did you have to take a risk? I think a lot of our listeners would love to be in your position. So how did that even come about to even join Grin? Yeah. So I would say that as most opportunities are obvious in hindsight, they often are not obvious when presented to you. And so this is something I would encourage people to reflect on is that usually when people evaluate the position that someone else has and, and some something that like they might have these thoughts of, oh, this individual always gets all these opportunities handed to them. That's something that people tend to, to think and internalize. Yeah. <laughs> Rarely is it so gold ladder presented such that the individual would think that at the time it was presented to them. So when I was evaluating different opportunities, I saw Grin and I, I saw it as an opportunity. If, if I were younger, I might not see that same situation. It was very early it, at, prior to the, the massive hyper growth of Grin. Yeah. And so I was coming from a team where I had a, a large software organization that I was managing. And, and I, I remember talking to uh, the recruiter about the opportunity at Grin and they're telling me, yeah, um, you'd be in charge of leading the uh, engineering department, really building it, scaling it, defining it and growing. I'm like, wow, that sounds great. And he's like, yeah. And so, so I asked, could you describe the engineering department? 
And he's like, yeah, it's uh, three engineers. And I was like, okay, cool. What else? There's like, no, that's it. That's the department. That's it. That's it. <laughs> and, and I was like, you don't need to hire me. Honestly, you should go hire an engineering lead or something else. Like I'm not the right person for this position. And after talking to them and really understanding what Grin was and where we're going, I, I immediately swallowed the Kool-Aid and understood why they were looking for a VP role for a team of, of three people. And uh, yeah, I, I was sold and, and immediately joined. But someone else might look at that and say like, this isn't a position that I should be taking. And it, it rarely, like I said, it rarely is. The opportunities often are presented to multiple people. And it's the person that sees that, hey, there's a problem here. This isn't good. Usually opportunities aren't in a perfect, ideal, good presentation because yeah. they rarely, <laughs> right? It, it's like you, you end up taking something that is a problem and a challenge and then finding the uh, joy of nurturing it and growing it and making it as good as it can be. And then at the end, you have this great situation that others are envious of that they would never have taken at the onset. One thing that it reminds me of, we've had a lot of successful people um, on the pod, a lot of engineering leaders, and it just brought up for me, sometimes it may appear that you need to take a step backwards in your career in order to go 100x further. So like the example with you, I think you were leading probably a much bigger team at the uh, robotics company. And maybe if someone came to you and said, you know, hey, Brent, do you want to take on a role leading three engineers? You might say to yourself, oh, that sounds like a, I don't know, a team leader position, or it seems like I'm going backwards. No, you were able to see probably from the founder something much greater than that. And now look where you are, like probably much further ahead in your career than maybe you would have ever imagined. Definitely having that perspective is, is healthy of releasing your ego. I'm at a stage where my intent is to evaluate how I can help my organization, how I can help the team, how I can help the company. And that needs to be done in, in various ways. There's things that that I do, which someone like, I don't know, it's like you being allergic to that's not my job or that's below me is, is something that's really important. I think for just professional and personal development in general. Absolutely. Thanks for in the intro part here, taking a little time for everyone to understand your career journey and how you got to a point of leading this incredible engineering team at Grin. I do want to make sure now we take some time to dig into Grin as well as it's super interesting company that you've grown here. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about Grin and what you all do? Yeah, for sure. First off, I just want to say that I couldn't be more proud of the engineering team that is at Grin. My staff and my team is incredible. I'm super humbled every moment I talk to the engineering team and, and see what they're able to achieve. It's totally incredible. And it. I'm sure you, you can appreciate this, Dan. You look at this and be like, man, I don't know that I would be able to, to keep pace with these people. If I were uh, working in their shoes, I'm super privileged to have them on my team. So Grin as a general company, it's incredible. I really do like it. The founders are top-notch and it really comes back to the right market timing combined with the right product. So our product is a SaaS application for creator management. And so what that really is about is all of the interactions that someone might have if they were trying to sell a product online to a consumer and they wanted to get someone from social media to talk about their, their product. So that's what Grin 
is from a product perspective. And we really believe that comes and works best through an authentic relationship with content creators. So no middlemen, you're not like going to some Craigslist style job board and posting, hey, if you post on Instagram about my product, I'll pay you five bucks or whatever. That doesn't really get the right result. I think we've all seen those kind of awkward placements in our streams and our social media feeds. And it's just totally like obvious and it's it's, weird. It's weird. It doesn't fit. Exactly. Exactly. And so authenticity is exactly the opposite of weird. When you see something from a trusted source, hey, I really like Linus Tech Tips or something. And then you see something that he's recommending. It's like it's natural because you know that he's an authority in that space. And this is something that he likes and is showcasing. And it has a completely opposite effect. It's genuine. It's authentic. It's a trusted source. And it's very powerful. And so our product is allowing the customers of it, like our brands, to have systems and tools to help them build those authentic relationships. That's what the product is about. The product is usually the company and vice versa. Now for the users of Grin, is it both the influencers and companies that want the influencers to do a thing or is it one side or the other? Like who's It's, it's really one side. So you can think of it um, like Salesforce. It, it's a product that's used by the, the marketing teams of a company that that has like our customers primarily focused on direct to consumer brands that would like to do influencer marketing or other activities. And so it's a set of capabilities that assist them in that it doesn't manage it for them. Gotcha. Now, this is such a emergent space. And this is the way I think a, a lot of companies want to do marketing now. And I assume that you're needing to move fast and probably a lot of demands on engineering. How do you go about building the product, maybe with all of, don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe pressure to move fast or innovate? What is your product methodology at Grin? Yeah, that's always the case, right? Maybe not always. I would say in an emerging market, it's always the case that it's all about moving fast. It's all about being first. And at Grin, it's no different. It's really important to optimize the the customer value that's going and moving through the engineering team. That's a a, a very critical part of any engineering organization that's successful is being able to seamlessly flow the the results and the output of the product team and the, the strategic roadmap into customer hands. So it's definitely part of our strategy. It's definitely high pressure. How do you manage it is that's the role, right? That's the the job. And so really Anything that I can do to help identify what bottlenecks are, what things would accelerate us. So focusing on accelerants and friction and removing the friction and adding more acceleration, man. It's just like pretty, pretty basic equation. So I can give you an example of friction. So like friction could be the types of challenges that you, you have when you have that synchronous communication required between teams. So you have one team working on a particular module and another team working on a different module. And there's an interaction between those. And something about that interaction needs to change because of some kind of feature capability. And so then the team needs to communicate with the other team. Now you have this this synchronous connection, which causes friction to the results. So is there a way that you can build within your team and your organization asynchronous methods of communicating such that there isn't that friction so that things and, and things still happen the right result without that interaction that then slows down the work itself. 
that would be a friction base. Now, an accelerant would be some, there's a lot of different ways, but at an organizational level, you might have some type of process that's your standard, but you don't have it really fleshed out and communicated and institutionalized throughout your org. And so if you can do that, institutionalize it, now you can have a baseline through which every team is performing some activity, right? Like it doesn't matter what it is. You just pick anything. Let's say code reviews, right? You have some type of standard for how code reviews are conducted. Now that's a baseline. That's what standard means. I know a lot of engineers hear the word standard and they're probably like the hairs in the back of their neck are, are standing up right now as I'm talking. But the idea of a standard is that it provides a baseline expectation through which now everyone can do experiments to improve. And if they can find some method of improving that standard, improving how you're doing code reviews that makes it faster for them, you can update the standard across the organization, provide that institutionalized capability of how to do this. And now you've raised up and, and accelerated across the team. Yeah. With, in terms of the standards, I, I think about it as here's the floor of how fast we're going to move. Exactly. It doesn't mean that you can't innovate and say, hey, you know what? We're going to notify each other about PRs through Slack or whatever, whatever it is that you decide you're going to do to innovate upon the process. But it's more just the floor. That's what that's the baseline point. Yeah, yeah it's, that's what a standard is. It's, it's the baseline floor expectation. And that's why we what do we do with standards? Right. You always raise them. Is there any tips or something that you use as a leader to find where you need a standard or? hey, I know that these two modules are going to have a, a friction point. Because sometimes as an engineering leader, especially as your team is growing, it can be hard to say, where can I make an impact? Like, where should I? Do you have anything that you use, like uh, spider sense to figure out where you should be? I know where you're going with this because there's a lot of ways of doing it, but you got to have data, man. Like spidey senses can help and intuition is great. And generally those are those spidey senses or intuition should lead you back to some level of data. If you're talking at the organizational level, if you're really at the edge or like individual contributor level, as an engineer, your intuition can help you rapidly solve an issue or, or, or create a code solution. That's great. That's, that happens all the time. However, at an organizational level, when you're dealing with a lot of different people, it comes back to data. And so having information available to you that you can see that there's something that's being measured that's just in, in, instinctually taking too long, or there's a delta on a particular team. And so there's um, a lot of disparity between how long certain things are taking for different teams. That could be a signal that you really need to dive in and look. Like There's a lot of different ways of, of seeing that, but one is just variance, right? Like one team does it like the similar types of activities at a much different rate than other teams, whether it be longer or slower. So if, if it's very slow, you might want to dig in and figure out like what's going on here. Is it the type of work? Is it the process? Is there something that's different novel? Or if there's an outlier that's going way faster, it's, oh man, how do we make that the new standard, right? So I would say having information and data so that you can see disparity, you can see different things that are happening on your org and in your team can really point out some places where you have either or like friction opportunities or accelerant opportunities. Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost. We are super proud to have you and Grin as Linear B customers. And so, of course, I know that you have 
some of this data at your fingertips that you can see where maybe I have a bottleneck in my delivery pipeline, or like you said, hey, which team, maybe this team's operating a little bit differently and I can go and help them. Let's just jump to that topic now. Why did Grin decide to work with Linear B? So Grin is a very data-centric company. We're in a space that we're providing a, a tool and a system that is only valuable to our customers if it can demonstrate its own results. And by the way, it does. So anyone listening that uh, needs something, a solution like this, they should be looking into to, uh, <laughs> Grin or other solutions like it. But the bottom line is at Grin, we use a, a system called EOS. Are you familiar with that, Dan? Entrepreneurial EOS. Operating System. Yeah, And so the entrepreneurial operating system, it's a way of running the entire company, not just the engineering team. And there's a lot of aspects to it. And one in particular, without getting hyper into the EOS lane, is the concept of a weekly scorecard. And so on your weekly scorecard, every team in the entire company and every individual at the entire company has a number. That's like the statement. Every person at Grin has a number. And that's a metric. And so it's really hard to find good, meaningful metrics at an individual level that are helpful and not distracting or, or harmful to an engineering team. And it's really hard in general to measure. And so what I wanted, and I've always wanted in my engineering orgs, are what I call free metrics. So these are pieces of data that I don't have the large organizational cost to attain, meaning I don't have to have analysts or other people spending a lot of time and effort curating this information. And we have so much data that's happening just as part of the work that we do that um, I explored for systems that could create some of this data or, or showcase some of it. And Linear B really stood out for me as the system of choice in this space. And so having it connect up to our systems and then just provide vast amounts of data in a very clear way that I can explore and see without having my team members spend a lot of time curating it or changing processes, putting various flags or fields on tickets every time you do something so that it can make sure that it the metrics can pick it up. All of that was um, something I was looking for. Yeah. Gathering data takes time. That's the truth. Like before I, I founded Linear B, at my previous role, I was a VP of engineering. I had a team then started to get up to four or five people that were just like gathering data so that we can see where do you, where should we spend time? How do we help our engineers in the best way possible? That's crazy. That's four or five salaries. And that's a lot of time. You know, one, one thing that was interesting, you have some of this data now from Linear B. Do you use it with your executives or do you use it just with your team? I'll say a yes for the programmer answer. When you put the or in there, I use it for executives and the team now for sure. The executive, like, can your CEO understand it or how do you? Yeah, I mean, they they can for sure. There's different pieces of data that I use at different levels. So when I aggregate up the data for, say, the entire engineering department, one of the areas that I really like is looking at, and so this is for the executive level that I present out, is new code versus rework. So how, how much new code? What's the percentage of software that the org has written that's new and how much of it has been written within the last three weeks and then had to be rewritten or reworked because it was whatever. There's a lot of different signals I can tell you, right? Like maybe it was improper requirements. Maybe it was written too hastily and there was defects. There's a lot of different signals that that rework can tell you, but that's one that I think 
people understand the value of having higher amounts of new work and low amounts of rework. Yeah, that's probably one of the most popular metrics, especially the situation that you're in is you probably care a lot about speed when you're in the emergent space. Where is the friction? Can we, you you said it best, I think, can we move value from idea to get it into the hands of the customer? Oh, rework's an area that's going to show you, okay, we have some kind of pain point happening here. Let me dig in. One of the things that we've been probably innovating the most at Linear B is our worker B functionality. So we kind of realize, okay, it's great for CTOs, VPs. You got to have this data. You can talk about it with your team members, your CEO, make decisions, you know, dive into bottlenecks in, in the pipeline. But what worker B is really doing is actually helping teams move faster with their PRs, higher quality. It's also for individual developers. How has worker B been treating you? Yeah, we have some people that use that for sure. And I think one of the big positive points around systems like Linear B, and in particular, I think the core metric that we use it within the team and like we use it at the individual level, but it's not used for any other reason, just to like for awareness of each individual can evaluate it and see is cycle time. That's like a big push. The lower the cycle time, the healthier your organization. That's just, it tells you so much. So a challenge with a metric like cycle time is that it's got so many dependencies throughout your engineering team. And it's very easy to externalize the rationale of why it's bad. So if I'm an individual and I'm saying like, I'm going to deflect responsibility for this, which is totally against Grand core values, but you might do it unintentionally of our DevOps pipeline is just janky today. And this week has been really bad and things aren't, aren't doing well. So the fact that my cycle time is bad, this team over here that's doing something or the DevOps team might be like, it's really like test automation going on. Like that, those, that team's got some challenges or, or whatever. When you break it down into its composable elements and you get to like review time, that's something that is 100% in your control, right? If you're assigned a PR to code review, how long you spend, how long you take, what's your pickup time for it, that's on you. You don't have the luxury of externalizing rationale of why it's not good. And so Worker B has been really helpful for that, of just helping notify people of, of those types of triggers and events. Cycle time is one of those leading kind of health indicators of how efficient are we able to get work done? But like you said, there's so many different components, people working together, teamwork needed. It's not just an individual contributor can go end to end. If you're just a developer, you can't just get actually get all your work done and get it out to production. So a lot of what Worker B is doing is that coordination. Hey, you have a PR, someone's waiting for you. Changes happen, estimated review time. So yeah, it's, it's cool. A lot of our customers are taking advantage of it. I want to give you the opportunity. So we're not just necessarily saying, oh, everything with Linear B is perfect. Is there something you can't do with Linear B today that you would like to be able to do? And it's totally okay to say yes. So I I mean, I think like with anything, there's things that can be improved. I, I, I would say that one of the areas that would be really nice is the ability to immediately flag a particular PR such that it's not evaluated in the metrics. 
right from the UI. I think right now there's various ways of doing that. You can use like different branching names and regexes that match yeah. it or like filters. And sometimes you might see something, a metric that's out of whack and you're like, oh, what's going on there? And you dig in and it's, oh, it was this big, you know, uh, we just added a new static analysis checker and we had to redo like the entire code base. And that was this long running PR and so it's not really indicative of anything about your system, right? It's, yeah, it's going to throw off your metrics because it's been open for 45 days and it's got a million lines of code and all of that stuff. So it'd be nice to just right-click and just say, ignore that PR and then have that percolate throughout the whole system. That's like an example of something I think could be improved on. Actually, that's a perfect example. Make it easier. Hey, these PRs, these branches, something was odd about, we were working on them for a hackathon or whatever it was. Get them mm-hmm. out of there immediately. Great. Brent, thanks for sharing all that info about Linear B. I'm happy that we're able to help you so much, especially during this scaling time. I do want to bring it back to Grin. Yeah. And something that is on my mind. What are the challenges that you're facing now as an engineering leader? Yeah, for sure. As a market leader in a new emerging space, things come up. I would say organizationally, it, it can be really hard as you're growing to institutionalize knowledge. That's just something that is an interesting side effect of hypergrowth, right? Like you have something where this is the way something's done. Okay. And you just pick whatever it is. You use code reviews again. If you don't have that codified and trained intentionally across your org, which is something that people, again, might be like, why are we training on this process that's super basic or whatever? It's like super simple. Why Why would you, you don't generally do that. Like a code review is here's the criteria. This is how we do it. It's pretty standard across the org or across the industry. If you have more people that are new in your company in the last three months than have been there for the last two years, yeah. <laughs> all of a sudden the standard tropes of how you communicate knowledge no longer works. It no longer applies. And so you can train everyone And that's great. And now everyone knows the process. But then in six months, when again, you've doubled the size of your team, people don't know how to do it anymore. So that's one of the big challenges that I would say is building in methods so that people can fall into the pit of success. They can do the right thing without really trying. That's really interesting. You brought up culture. And one of the, I think, examples of, hey, this is not part of our culture, but here's an example of maybe a bad behavior. What is the engineering culture at Grin and how do you intend to evolve it? Culture is always one of those hard things to articulate and describe. It, it gets, especially if you're talking about from engineering, where we like to be very precise and prescriptive around how things work. And at the same time, we're individuals and we don't like to be put in buckets. So I would say that. At Grin, in engineering in particular, we have a very strong level of collaboration. And some engineering organizations are very hierarchical in the way that things occur. Yeah, Grin is a, an environment where it's it takes humility to the next level, I would say, that it's really important to listen and collaborate with your peers. And that means understanding that even if you've done something before or a certain way, someone else might have a perspective that's valuable that will improve it. And so being humble enough to hear, to listen to your colleagues, to truly understand where they're coming from 
and then build the best result without getting too attached to a particular implementation is very important for us. One thing that, that's interesting, actually, you and I talked a little bit about offline has to do with team setup. How do you organize your team that's scaling rapidly here? How is your team set up? Not like it will be in six months and not like it was six <laughs> months ago. So I'll tell you that it's always changing and, and you have to be dynamic and flexible in, in that space. So the way it's set up is that we have, like we call them pods, where you have an engineering lead, some engineers, QA, and associated a product support, like product manager design, all working in conjunction and in concert together to actualize some kind of feature capability. And so that is the cluster and grouping that then you have multiple of these pods working continually. That's one level of organization. I also think it's really important to appreciate the difference between releasing predictably new capabilities for the product and being extremely quick and responsive to your customers and to existing issues that may arrive. Those are often seen in conflict with each other because if you're trying to be very predictable, then you can't necessarily be responsive and vice versa. If you're very responsive, then that throws off your predictability. So we have a level of organization within the team to address that, where I have a couple of different success criteria for different groups, where one is really measured on response time. Mm-hmm. And so they handle that type of activity where the other groups are, are measured on like predictability and ability to get the roadmap and the features in a consistent manner. Do you rotate engineers in that situation? Or is it kind of just one team always more responsiveness and one team on the features? So particularly the teams themselves are are built specifically for that, though we do move people between the teams so that they get different experience with that. Yeah, exactly. I've seen that as a a good practice. So how many engineers are in your organization today? The engineering team is about 50 people. And do you have like a growth roadmap of what you think it will be maybe in a year or anything like that? Well, yours like a million Six years months. away. Yeah, like, like <laughs> a year in grin time, man, you might as well be talking about a decade. Hard to predict <laughs> that far out. I would say that, yeah, we'll probably be double that in the next six months or so. We mentioned processes a little bit earlier and, and you talked to maybe some stuff about the PR, but when you're thinking about doubling the size of the team, now you're really getting up there. Are there certain areas that you have in your mind? Okay, I do want some processes and standards in, in a particular area. It's a continual evolution. I would say that you're never sure 100% where the bottlenecks are going to arrive. You can plan and predict where ones are. And if you try to address them too quickly before the results are necessary to have in place, it could be just as damaging as not having it in place, right? You you have to be really intentional and careful around process in particular. It's really important for me when I think of, okay, what are areas that we need to put in place? I'm building an environment that can be adaptive and malleable as we're doing this, that can just in time iterate, improve, and then completely replace no longer functioning parts of our org. I would say building a system that is intentionally going to need change and and be able to do that is is what I'm focusing on. I mean, I think the the lesson there is don't be afraid to remove a process. You might put a process in place that's good when you're 50 engineers, 
Mm-hmm. And maybe you just put your ego aside a little bit, like you were saying earlier, hey, this doesn't work for us anymore. We're removing the, this process. Maybe you add one somewhere else. Absolutely. And at the same time, understanding that not everything's going to always be perfect. And that's okay. Sometimes it's okay for some things to not be addressed. Then that's something that's really hard for, for some people to internalize and understand that just because something's broken objectively doesn't give, isn't justification for spending time fixing it. Now, the last area that, that I want to touch on you are going to be doubling your team size, something like that, significant growth. How do you think about hiring? Do you have a particular hiring strategy or what goes through your mind as an engineering leader when you need to double and bring in some great talent? It's a challenge for sure. I would say that hiring is always hard in engineering because it's so important. The people that you have and the people that are part of our team are our most advantageous part of the department. There's a lot of different things that aren't people and that's good, but the people really make the difference. So having a quick process that is able to ensure the right fit, I think is critical. And it really comes down to understanding there's a couple of different non-negotiables, like around culture is a big one, right? That's like something where you can immediately see that someone's a miss. It's harder to tell that someone's a match, but if you yeah. see someone's a miss, miss and they have all the technical capabilities that you're looking for, it's really hard. But I think sometimes you just have to not, not pick up that individual. Here's the thing. You're going to be talking probably to an, a lot of candidates saying no quickly is not a bad thing. Yeah. If you want an efficient hiring process, the candidate wants that type of experience. Say no early on. Hey, it's not a fit. One mistake that I have seen, I've been through a doubling of growth and you got to talk to different people and you might say, okay, the team leader is meeting with them first, then maybe the director. And then finally, maybe Brent, you need to sign off or I need to sign off. Sometimes a candidate that would get to me, I could tell earlier on, hey, I don't think you all are really that bought in. Let's not bring this type of candidate through the process. It's okay. Let's say no early yeah, for sure. And, and it's also really important to just understand that there are different backgrounds and different paths to get to a really talented place where I would love to hire this person. And so that's something that I think often organizations struggle with is they look for a very structured criteria for what, what constitutes a great hire. And I'm not sure that it's that simple. I think that can work if you're looking for maybe one or two people where you find exactly the right peg and hole type fit. And sometimes um, the best people like come from places where you wouldn't expect. Brent, thanks so much for taking the time to sit down with us and talk about how you've constructed Grin's engineering team and your growth challenges And you're building this all-in-one creator management platform that sounds absolutely awesome. It's been a great convo. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. What should engineers out there know about Grin or where could they go if they want an opportunity to work on your team? Right on, man. So I would say, first off, I wouldn't just limit this to engineers. Anyone that is looking for a great job at the market-leading SaaS company in an emerging market is number one, undisputably in any metric that you have, right? You just, you try to come up with a measure of what we're doing. Check out our glass door, just look at it. There's tons of roles, product roles, engineering roles, 
test automation, DevOps. There's endless uh, opportunity here. Please go check out grin.co slash careers and um, take a look at what's available. And if you're interested, definitely put your hat in the ring. Awesome. So yeah, really encourage everyone, check out the careers page at Grin. Obviously, this is a rocket ship company. We have an engineering leader here that thinks the right way. So probably some good uh, career opportunities for you at Grin. And also a quick reminder for our listeners, if you haven't already rated and reviewed the show on your podcasting app of choice, particularly Apple Podcasts, please do so. Reviews are super crucial for our show to get discovered. Also be sure to join the Dev Interrupted Discord community. That's where we keep this type of conversation going all week long. I also want to say thank you to the more than 2,000 of you who are now subscribed to our weekly interruption newsletter. We bring you articles from the community, inside information, weekly pods, and the first look at Interact 2.0 on April 7th, 2022. We have all of the links uh, and information in the description below. See you all next week. And Brent, thank you again for being here. My pleasure. Thanks for having me.